Rex Stout's Nero Wolf. Special guest stars Lally Cadeau, Sean Sullivan, Eric Peterson, Martha Gibson, and Dan Bukos. It is merely one facet of my complex character that I do not like men named Eugene. I admit it's a prejudice. That and that alone accounted for my offish attitude when Mr. and Mrs. Eugene R. Poor called at Nero Wolf's office that Tuesday afternoon in October. Eugene. Yes, dear? You dropped your cigar. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. Mr. Wolf, I've come to you uh, because I'm going to be murdered by a man called Conroy Blaney. Uh, indeed. Yes. Uh, Mr. Poor, I suppose... 200 men and women have sat in that chair and tried to hire me to keep someone from killing them. How many, Archie? 209. <laughs> have I taken the jobs? No, sir, never. For $2 million a year, you can make it fairly difficult for a man to kill you. That's about what it costs to protect a president or a king. And even so, consider the record. I don't expect you to keep him from killing me. That's not what I came for. Then what the devil did you come for? To keep him from getting away with it. Oh, I see. Con Blaney is so damn clever that it isn't a question whether he can kill me or not. The question is whether he can manage it so he's in the clear. I'm afraid he can. I would bet he can. Eugene. Yes, dear. You've got to try to relax. I came here, Mr. Wolf, to give you the facts, to get the facts down and to pay you $5,000 to see that he doesn't end up in the clear. I want someone to know about it. Your wife knows about it. What if he kills her, too? There's no one else I can trust. Then why not go to the police? The police? <laughs> I'm not sure they'd even remember I'd been there if it happened in a year or maybe two years. I can't pay them to remember. What's the matter? Don't you want $5,000? I wouldn't get $5,000. As my income tax now stands, I'd keep about 10%. If Mr. Blaney's as clever as you say he is, I wouldn't consider trying to uncover him on a murder for $500. No, sir, I... Mrs. Poor, may I ask why that makes you look so pleased? Because I need help, and I think you're going to help me. I don't approve of this. I didn't want my husband to come here. Where did you want him to go? To the Atlantic Detective Agency? Oh, no. If I'd been in favor of this going to any detective, it would have been Nero Wolf. But may I explain? Uh, well, I, I am due in the plant rooms at four o'clock... I have 18 minutes. Then I'm going to use them. Eugene, please. It won't take 18 minutes, Mr. Wolf. My husband and Mr. Blaney have been business partners for 10 years. They own the firm of Blaney and Poor, manufacturers of novelties. We make things like matches that won't light, chairs with rubber legs and bottled drinks that taste like soap. Good heavens. It's the biggest firm in the business. Mr. Blaney gets the ideas and handles the production. He's a genius, And my husband handles the business part. Sales and so on. But... Mr. Blaney is really just about too conceited to live. 
Now that the business is a big success, he thinks my husband isn't needed. He wants him to get out and take 20000 for his half. It's worth a great deal more than that. Ten times as much. I won't do it. The argument has gone on and on. Until now, my husband is convinced that Mr. Blaney is capable of doing anything to get rid of him. Of killing him. And you don't agree? Oh, no, I do agree. I think Mr. Blaney would stop at nothing. Well, you made threats? Oh, no, he isn't that kind. He doesn't make threats. He just goes ahead. Then why didn't you want your husband to come to me? Because he's simply too stubborn to live. There's a clause in the partnership agreement. They signed it when they started the business. It says if either one of them dies, the other one owns the whole thing. That's another reason why he'd kill me. What my husband wants is to make sure Mr. Blaney gets caught. That's how stubborn he is. And what I want is for my husband to stay alive. Martha, we've been over this My husband has saved over $200,000. He can get another 20000 from Mr. Blaney for his half of the business. It's worth 20 times that much. Not if you're dead. With the income from that, we could live comfortably and happily. I thought you'd stand by me in this fight. I would if you could possibly win. But you can't win. Instead of winning, you'll probably die. I ask you, Mr. Wolf, you're a wise and clever man. What would you do if you were in my husband's position? Uh, you put that as a question? Yes, I do. Well, granting that you've described the situation correctly, I would kill Mr. Blaney. <laughs> what? <laughs> but that's silly. Of course, you're joking, but this is no joke. I'd kill a bastard in a second if I thought I could get away with it. Maybe you could, Mr. Wolf, but I couldn't. And I'm afraid you couldn't hire me for that. Your wife's advice is sound. Are you going to take it? No. Are you going to kill Mr. Blaney? No. And you still want to pay me $5,000? Yes, I do. Well, I advise you against that, too, under the circumstances. Here are the circumstances. Uh, Archie, take your notebook. Yes, sir. Make a receipt reading, Received from Eugene R. Poor, $5,000, in return for which I agree, in case he dies within one year... To give the police the information he has given me today, and to take any further action that may seem to me advisable. Oh. Sign my name and initial it as usual. Oh. Get all details from Mr. Poor. Now, if you have anything further to ask, sir, ask it of Mr. Goodwin. That's no good. You don't even say what kind of action. At least you ought to say I advised you against it under the circumstances. Those, sir... Uh, are the circumstances. That's all I'll undertake. Suit yourself. Mr. Wolf, I didn't mention that I brought the fee in cash. Speaking of income tax, getting it in cash wouldn't make it... Boy, I am not a common cheat, Mr. Poor. Not that I'm a saint. Given adequate provocation, I might conceivably cheat a man or a woman or even a child. But you are suggesting that I cheat not a man or a woman or a child, but 140 million of my fellow citizens. Oh, Mr. Poor. Yes? You dropped your cigar. Can I light that for you? Oh, oh thanks. Is he always like that? Oh, always. Yeah. I'm the one that does all the work around here. I'm also an admirer of your wife. Your what? I admire your wife as an advice giver. Life is more fun outside the grave than in it. And with over 200,000 bucks... I've had enough sure. advice. My mind is made up. Okay, uh, give me everything you think we'll need. It was nearly five o'clock when they left. I was still typing from my notes when at six o'clock, Wolf came down from the plant rooms. Well, did you take that man's money? 
If I say I took it, you'll claim that your attitude as you left plainly indicated that he had insulted you and you wouldn't play. <laughs> if I say I refused it, you'd claim I'd done you out of a fee. Now, which do you prefer? Yeah. Did you word the receipt properly? No, sir. I worded it the way you told me to. No. The loot is in the safe. I told him you'd prefer a check, but he said there it was. He'd taken the trouble to get it, so why not take it? Uh, he still thinks you'll forget to report it to your 140 million citizens. Oh, by the way, if Blaney does perform, I'm going to marry the widow. You saw her legs. I did not see her legs. Do your typing, Archie. I like to hear you typing. Huh? If you're typing, you can't talk. Yes, sir. It was after dinner at about 9.40 that the phone rang. For you, Inspector Kramer. Oh, thank you. And what can I do for you, Mr. Kramer? I'm at Eugene Poor's apartment. I've got a paper here taken from his pocket, a receipt for $5,000, signed by you, dated today. It says you have information to give the police if he dies. All right, what's the information? He's dead. Now, what killed him? An explosion. A cigar blew up in his face. Archie will be there in a few minutes. Recognize him? Well, it's the same suit and tie, anyway. Jeez, uh, a cigar did that to him? So the wife says he lit a cigar and it blew up? I don't believe it. Uh, yes, I guess I do. She says so. They make novelties. Uh, that's a novelty. Yeah, we're all through here. Uh, take it away, boys. Where's Mrs. Poor? Bedroom. I want to see her. The hell you do? I want to see our client. So you've got a client? You've seen the receipt. You've read my report. Give her a chance. I am. Let her pull herself together. Huh. Is this the box the cigar came from? Don't touch it. I'm that. just pointing, Inspector. I'm not touching. I just want to satisfy my curiosity. He smoked two cigars this afternoon in the office. Same brand? The same, Alta Vista. Hmm, it's a fresh box, only one gone. You suppose the rest of these are loaded? The lab will answer that. You picked up the partner, Blaney? He's been sent for. Oh, I hope to God it's a wrap-up. Maybe it is. How did poor seem this afternoon? Nervous, scared, what? It was mostly stubborn. Mine made up. Mm. What about the wife? Stubborn, too. She wanted him to go on breathing. You, uh, want to talk to this young woman, sir? How do I know? Do I? Well, she came here just after we got here. She won't tell us why. I did tell you why. I had an appointment with Mr. Poor. Yeah? At first you said you just came here. Oh, that wasn't true. I, I had to say that. Why? Oh, uh, look, I work for Mr. Poor. That is, I work for Blaney and Poor Novelties. Mr. Poor called and he asked me to meet him here. What for? Oh, I can't tell you that. It's a confidential matter. Nothing is confidential in the murder case, miss. Please, you don't understand. If Mr. Blaney knows I came here, I'll lose my job. Oh, no. Doyle, what the hell's happening here? We found this guy hanging around outside I here. have a right to be here. Oh, Helen, there you are. Well, you didn't lose any time, did you? Now you think you can have her. What's going on here? Who are you? My name is Joe Grohl. I work for Blaney and Poor, factory foreman, and I have a right Why to be here. Why are you hanging around outside? Tell him. I followed Helen Vardis when she left home tonight because I wanted to know where she was going. She came here and I saw all the police outside. Now, where's Conroy Blaney? He's been sent for. Why did you... That want... is not true. What's not true? That he was following me. Why would he follow me? He came here to... Yeah, to what? I don't know. But I do know who killed Mr. Poor. It was Martha Davis. Oh, that helps. Who is Martha Davis? She means Mrs. Poor. Oh. That was her name when she worked in the factory before she got married. She means Mrs. Poor killed her husband. She's jealous of Mrs. Poor. She's just playing crazy. She certainly is. Martha. You ought to be ashamed of yourself, Helen. I think you will be when you calm down and thought things over. You have no right or reason Let to talk like go. that. Why? Let me go, I say. Who's in charge here? I'm Conroy Blaney. Where's Jean Poor? You ask? Of course I do. 
Why have I been brought here? You know perfectly well that Jean is dead. Murdered. Good heavens. Who did it? And that's when they removed me to another room. <sighs> did you get to speak to Mrs. Poor at all? Yeah, later. Much later, and only for a short time. Well... The Poors left here in their car a little before five. She persuaded him to drive up to Conroy Blaney's place in Westchester, hoping they could talk it all out. She phoned ahead and made an appointment with Blaney for 6.30, but at the last minute, Poor balked and they stopped at Monty's Tavern near Scarsdale to debate. Poor won the debate. He wouldn't go. So she left him at the tavern and went on to Blaney's place alone. She got there at 6.15. Are you awake? Oh, yeah, sure. Uh, it's hard to tell when you close your eyes like that and don't move. Do you want me to go on? Go on. Blaney wasn't there. He lives alone. And the doors were locked. Now, she waited around till ten minutes to seven and then went back to the tavern. They ate dinner there and then they drove back home. When he got home, he opened a fresh box of cigars. She was in the bathroom when she heard the explosion. Are you still awake? You say the face was unrecognizable? Yes, sir. Something concealed in a cigar... Right, see, that's next to incredible. That's really incredible. So, what do we do? Do? Nothing. Nothing? There is nothing to do. I engaged to give that information to the police and have done so. Also to take any further action that might seem to me advisable, and I've done that. You mean you're through with the case? Certainly not. I haven't started. There is nothing to start on. Uh, Mr. Kramer may do the job himself. I hope so. I resign. Nonsense. Do your work. No, sir. I'm going upstairs. I'm going upstairs to pack. If you're too lazy to wiggle a finger very well, that's not news. But you're not even interested. Does it bore you because you've already collected the fees, huh? Too small a fee? Is it too obvious? Is it beneath you? Confound well, how about this in the Gazette, then? Man's naked body found in a lonely lane near White Plains, head crushed to a pancake by a car running square over him. Uh, there's a case for a great detective like you. See, it might be Hitler, since his body has never been found. It... Answer the door, Archie. Yes, sir. Wolf doesn't like receiving unexpected callers. He likes me to check with him first. So I didn't. Inspector Kramer... Good morning, Mr. Kramer. To what do I owe I this? told him to hell with him. You wouldn't see him. Since he's working on the poor case and you're not interested... Oh, shut up, Archie. Sit down, Mr. Kramer. Why do you put up with him? He saved my life once. Once? Have you forgot... What can I do for you, Inspector? I, uh, dropped in on my way uptown because I thought it was only fair. I think I'm going to arrest your client on a charge of murder. <laughs> you can't arrest my client on any charge whatever. Oh, no? My client is dead. And by the way, is he? I presume the corpse has been properly identified. Uh, certainly. With a face as blown apart as that, it's routine. Fingerprints, dentist, doctor, the works. Why? What do you think it was? Uh, insurance fake? No, I didn't think. Then you can't arrest my client. Goodwin says Mrs. Poor is your client. Oh, Mr. Goodwin is impulsive. You read that receipt? Yeah. <laughs> So you are going to charge Mrs. Poor? I think I am. Indeed. I don't indeed me. God damn it, didn't I take the trouble to stop by and tell you about it? Well, go ahead and tell me. Okay, but first, why did you ask if we established the identity? There's not the slightest doubt it was poor. Not only the corpse itself, other things like the elevator man who took them up when they came home and the people up at the tavern where they had dinner. They uh, identified him from a uh, photograph? No, he was known there. There are no photographs of poor, apparently. Oh, I wondered why the papers were carrying none. 
Are you doubting the identity of the corpse? Oh, that would be silly since you're ready to make an arrest. Goodwin told you about the box of cigars. Something. Well, that was it, all right. Poor smoked about a box every two days. Boxes of 25. He bought them from a place near his office and factory. The box he started on Tuesday night. The 24 left in it are all loaded. Any one of them would have killed him two seconds after he led it. Oh, that's hard to believe. Inside a cigar? Right, I thought so, too. The firm of Blaney and Poor has been making trick cigars for years, but they're harmless. All they do is make you jump. Now, what's in these 24 is anything but harmless. It was invented for the Army and still is on the secret list. Now, even this is confidential. It's made by the Beck Products Corporation. And their men and the FBI are raising hell trying to find out how this murder got a hold of them. That's not for publication. I am not a publisher. Okay. Of course, the Alta Vista tobacco people deny all knowledge. Sure. They say the fillers are theirs, but the wrappers are not. Now, they say whoever sliced them open and inserted the things and rewrapped them was an expert. Now, there are four people connected with Blaney and Poor who are good at making trick cigars. Helen Vardis, one of their most highly skilled workers. Joe Grohl, the foreman. Blaney himself. And Mrs. Poor, who worked there for four years before she married Poor. Oh, good at making trick cigars. <laughs> well, how did you narrow it down to Mrs. Poor? How do you like this? Underneath the cigars in the box, we found two human hairs. They came from the head of Mrs. Poor, unquestionably. Well, I think I'll charge her. Oh, I wouldn't do that if I were you, Mr. Kramer. Oh, you wouldn't? No, sir. Let me put it this way. You have her on trial. Hmm? The hairs have been placed in evidence. I am the defense attorney. I'm speaking to the jury. Shoot. Ladies and gentlemen, I respect your intelligence. The operation of turning those cigars into deadly bombs has been described to you as requiring the highest degree of skill and the most minute attention. Deft fingers and perfect eyesight were essential. The slightest irregularity about the appearance of that box of cigars might have attracted the attention of a veteran smoker. And you can imagine the anxious scrutiny with which each cigar was inspected as it was arranged in that box. And you can realize how incredible it is that a person so intently engaged on anything and everything the eye could see could be so careless as to leave two of the hairs of a head in that box of cigars. Now, ladies and gentlemen, I appeal to your intelligence. I put it to you that those hairs, far from being evidence that Martha Poor killed her husband, are instead evidence that Martha Poor did not kill her husband. So she is your client after all. No, sir, she is not. It was Mr. Poor who paid me. Now, Inspector, you said you came here because you wanted to be fair. Well, I say, pui, you came here because you had misgivings. You had them because you are not a ninny. What about motive? Mrs. Poor was tired of smelling the smoke from her husband's cigars, perhaps? No, or, uh, money. She gets the whole works, plus insurance. Or, according to that girl, Helen Vardis, she wanted Joe Grohl, and now they'll get married. Huh? Proof? Uh, talk. Goes away back to when Mrs. Poor was working there. I'll tell you this, whether she's your client or not. We've been having conversation with everybody at Blaney and Poor's, and the females all go thumbs down on her. The idea being that she's a man-eater. The specifications by the female? Nah, none. But it's unanimous. Oh, it would be. They never forgive a woman for marrying the proprietor. It's our busy day. Mr. Conroy Blaney himself to see you. Do I let him in? What does he want? I think he wants to confess. Oh, I warn you. His squeak will get on your nerves. Oh, Conroy. 
Aldous. Bring him in. Ah, oh, we meet at last, Mr. Wolf. I was thinking on my way here. Fate has thrown us together. You dominate your field and I dominate mine. We were bound to meet. Your uh, field? That's right. I am supreme. I imagine you and I are alike in more ways than one. Now, I like to see things done in an orderly manner. So do you, don't uh, you? Mr. Blaney, So first I... I'll give you my four reasons for coming here and then we can take them up one at a time. One, I want a copy of the report you gave the police of what Gene Poor and Martha, his wife, told you about me. Two, discussion of whether your giving that report to the police was publication of a libel and whether your withdrawal of it will satisfy me. Three, a proposal to make an orchid guaranteed exclusive to you, an imitation orchid plant in a pot that would talk. When the pot was lifted, it would say distinctly, orchids to you, or anything of similar length. God, heaven! I knew we would have many things in common. That's my favorite expression, too. I use it all the time. Good heavens. But you probably want to know where I stand. I would, if I were you. Tuesday evening up at Jean's apartment, I heard a man saying to another man, I presume they were detectives, something about Mrs. Poor being Nero Wolfe's client, and in that case, Mrs. Poor was as good as out of it, so Blaney might as well get his legs shaved for the electrode. Now, I really think it would be a shame to make yourself ridiculous, and I don't think you want to, so I'm willing to take this trouble. You're not a man to reach a conclusion without reasons. That wouldn't be scientific, and you and I are both scientists. Tell me your reasons one by one, and I'll prove they're no good. Go ahead. Archie, get him out of here. (laughs) The truth is, you have no reasons, isn't that right? All right, then about this talking orchid. When I get hold of a creative idea, I can't concentrate on anything else. You will have to give me three or four orchid plants to work from, and they ought to be your favorite plants. Now, here's the stroke of genius. I was saving this. The voice that does the talking will be your voice. Whoever you send it to, preferably a lady, she will lift the pot, suspecting nothing, and your own voice, the voice of Nero Wolf, will say to her, orchids to you. Probably she'll drop the pot, but... I think you just performed a miracle, Mr. Blaney. Oh, yes? Yes. You caused Nero Wolf to disappear. I don't understand. Oh, overlook it. He's eccentric. So am I. The geniuses are. Does he really think I killed Gene Poor? He does now. Why now? Oh, uh, forget it. I'm eccentric, too. There's another possibility. The idea of the orchid having his voice doesn't appeal to him. Then how about it having your voice? What? You have a good baritone voice. I could let you have it at cost, and you could give it to him for Christmas. Let's hear how it would sound. Say it in a medium tone. Orchid's to you. Hi there. Archie, is that man gone? No, sir. Now he wants... Get him out of there at once. Phone Saul and tell him to come here as soon as possible. Yes, sir. Let's hear how it would sound. I'll close my eyes and you say it to me, just naturally to me, orchids to you. Are you ready? Oh, I'm ready. Did you get Saul? Yes, sir. He can't be here till six o'clock, so maybe I could... No, I need you here. Yes, sir. Working on the orchid file to find out whether it seems advisable for me to talk with that man, Joe Grohl. Yes, sir. With tea leaves or there's a palmist over... When he was at the scene of the murder on Tuesday, he asked where Blaney was. Now, find out why and anything else. As for instance, when does he marry Mrs. Poor and did she... Anything. 
Just see him. I picked Joe Grohl up at the corner of Varick and Adams at 5.30. Sorry to keep you waiting. It's okay, it's okay. <laughs> I only quit being an army hero two months ago and they gave me my job back. But it keeps me busy catching up. Where are we going? There's a bar on 19th Street. Serves good scotch, all right? Okay by me. As we pulled away from the sidewalk, I couldn't help noticing that behind us, someone's desire to find a taxi became frantic. To oblige, I took my time. When I saw in the rearview mirror that a taxi had actually been snagged, I fed gas and went ahead. When I parked, I made sure that there was a parking space behind us for the taxi. Joe and I went into the bar and ordered drinks. You're right. This is good scotch. Say, you mind if I ask you something? Go ahead. Well, I don't go for this theory that it was Helen Vardis that killed Ford. Do you? What are you talking about? What theory? Well, this theory that Helen Vardis would do anything for Blaney. And God knows why. She made the cigars for him. She went there Tuesday well, night. Well, for Christ's sakes, who thought that one up? Well, it wasn't me. Don't get excited. <laughs> right. Uh, yes, I must remember that one. Don't get excited. They put you in a uniform and take you across the ocean into the middle of hell. Bombs, bullets, flamethrowers. Your friends die right against you and bleed down your neck. And after two years of that, they bring you home and turn you loose and say, Don't get excited. Hey, cool down, will you? Look, I'm all right. Cool down. No, I'm all right. I'm sorry I brought it up. Okay, it's just that, hey, look, I... I come home, and what do I find? The girl I had been counting on has married the boss, and no one told me. Hey, now, that's a raw deal. Wasn't her fault. She never promised me anything, but I had been looking forward to seeing her. Oh, I uh, I did see her, but only because she was in trouble and uh, asked me to help. Help how? She thought her husband was going to get killed by Blaney. And knowing Blaney as I did, I saw no reason to doubt it. She asked me to watch Blaney and... But why am I spilling all this to you? I was in the army, too. Oh, yeah? Yeah, I think I understand. Anyhow, I wasn't heartbroken. Because Martha seemed a little older than I had remembered. Besides, there was another girl who'd been nothing but a kid in the factory before. But now she'd grown up. I saw her the other night. Yeah, Helen Vardis. <laughs> I fell for her like a Sherman tank. <laughs> oh, I thought I'd finish that drink. You filled it up. Thanks. Cheers. Oh, uh, I guess I was a little leery of all civilians, even Helen. But she seemed to reciprocate. She seemed to reciprocate. Hmm? I just don't understand it. First Martha, then her. I saw her with him in a restaurant, and I saw them together in his car. Who, Blaney? Certainly not. Poor Eugene Poor. Oh, boy. I can't understand what he had. Look, I put it to Helen. I asked her outright, and she as much as told me to go to hell. She refused to explain? <laughs> they say, don't get excited. Who is it that thinks Helen was helping Blaney? Oh, no, it's nothing to worry about. No matter in case you have to hear anything. Well, it's stupid. If the cops had any brains at all, they should know that it had to be either Blaney or Martha who killed poor. How do you figure that? Martha went up to Blaney's place in Westchester at 6.15 on the night of the murder. She says Blaney wasn't there. That's right. Blaney says he was there that whole evening. So one of them is lying, and the one that's lying killed poor. So, it's Blaney. Why? Because Martha wouldn't lie? Why would Martha kill him? He had everything going for him that he had two years ago when they got married. Anyway, he was Blaney. And he knows I was keeping an eye on him for Martha, so I'll be out of a job and so the hell with him. 
Tell me, do you want to come along and help me do something? Well, if you describe it, I promised my mother I would always be helpful to people. <laughs> You're very witty, you know that. Well, Nero Wolf tells me that all the time. Uh, say, what are we going to do? I'm going up to Blaney's office, look through his abditories. Look through his what? Abditories. Secret hiding places. His office is full of them. I'm going to search them. Do you want to come along? You got the keys? Hell, I'm foreman. Okay, finish your drink and let's go. Y'all, just be a minute. I want to talk to somebody in that taxi parked behind us. There's no sense in this, Miss Vardis. Look at that meter. Come on, ride with us. Get out of here. Get hey, just relax, will you? I can't get out because I'm not in. Now, this is absolutely childish. You don't know the first principle of tailing. And this driver you happen to get is worse. Now, if you insist on tailing Joe, okay, we'll put him in a cab and we'll let him go ahead and you ride with me and I'll show you how it's done. You're smart as they come, aren't you? I'm at least smarter than you if you let that meter continue to tick. Now pay him and come on. You seem to be in charge of everything. You pay him. <laughs> I guess she got you, smartass. Here, keep the nickel change. Move over a little, Joe. There's room for three. What is this? What are you doing here? If I were you folks, I would incorporate and call it the Greater New York Mutual Tailing League. I don't see how you keep track of who is following whom on any given day. Uh, of course, if one of you gets convicted of murder, that'll put a stop to it. You uh, have now, however, one good reason that I know of for getting married. The fact that a wife can't testify against a husband or vice versa. There's one thing you got to watch. Now that Eugene Poor is dead... Helen will try to sell you the idea, Joe, that she was meeting him on the sly merely to keep him informed of anything Blaney seemed to be up to. And Joe will try to sell you the idea, Helen, that he was seeing Martha merely for that, too. Now, of course, he can't marry her for at least a long time because it would look a little suspicious, and he may want you just for a stopgap. You should both be... Are you always such a clown? Always. It is a well-known fact that clowns have the biggest and warmest hearts on record, except mothers and three characters in a book by so. If you get tired of being a stopgap, why don't you give me a ring? Stop letting me up. We're not going where I said. Oh, yes, we are. Trick dice, trick pencils. Are these are trick pencils? When you press, the perfume comes out. Perfume? Why would he bother hiding these in one of those... Uh... Abditory. Abditories. <laughs> Conroy Blaney is a strange man. Tell me about it. Here, I need more light. Wait, that's not a... Oh, no. That is not a light switch. No, it's a water squirter. <laughs> you know, that is really interesting. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Some customers say that the person won't be standing in the right place. But you were exactly. A person not as tall as you would get it right in the eye. You are. I'm what? Not as tall as me. Oh, yes, but I've got better sense. Maybe you hadn't better touch those things. Thanks for the suggestion. What happens if I sit on this? Nothing. That one's okay. Oh, swell. Well, this is a new one on me. Helen. What? What is this thing, do you know? I haven't got the faintest idea. Here, let me see that. Where'd you find this? Did you see me find it? In that calendar on Blaney's desk. How many of them? Just one? No, two of them. Well, what are they, do you know? I think that it was one of these things that was in the cigar that Mr. Poor never got to finish. What do you think? I think we can damn soon find out. No, no, wait. That idea doesn't appeal to me. I suggest that we all three go and deliver these gadgets, calendar included, to Nero Wolf. He may want to ask some questions. You take them to him. I think I'll go home. I think I'll go home, too. Nothing doing. You'll just follow each other and get all confused again. If I take these things to Wolf without taking you, he'll fly into a temper and phone the police to get you. Now, wouldn't you prefer to come with me? 
Mr. Grove. Yes, sir? I don't know how much sense you have. If you have slightly more than your share, you must realize that if I hand these things to the police with Mr. Goodwin's story, they'll conclude that you are a liar. Why would Miss they? Miss Vardis, please, I'm speaking to Mr. Grove. They will ask, why did you wait until witnesses were present to explore those... Uh, abdatory... Hiding places. Is it even remotely credible that Mr. Blaney would leave such incriminating evidence in a hiding place that a dozen people knew about? I'll end by concluding that you put the capsules in the calendar yourself. I didn't. It happened exactly the way I told you. But listen, oh, I am. You seem to know that these things are the same as the loads and the cigars. And if you do, okay. But I don't. Neither do I. And what the hell? Maybe they're full of Chanel number no. 5. I was coming to that. Archie, mm. do you remember that metal coffee percolator that we were fools enough to try? Mm, yes, sir. It's in the basement. Bring it here, please. Now, Mr. Grohl, perhaps we can prevail on your... Ready? Good. All right, now, the rest you go out in the hall and I'll light it. But I want to see it. Oh, no, no, wait a minute. I saw a poor face. You didn't. You go up in the hall. Oh, nonsense, Archie. That little thing, I'll be quite safe here at my desk. Okay. You've been warned. All right, here goes. Jesus. Are you all right, sir? I, uh, I... My God, look at the hole in the plaster behind his head. It was the percolator lid. It, it missed me by inches. My God, what's in those capsules? It, 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 it's outrageous. I was nearly killed. Now, this, this settles it. Against Mr. Poor, there may have been a valid grievance, but against me, none. I'm, I'm going to bed. Archie, uh, you put that other thing in the safe. What was that about? Is he mad at us? Geez, you think well, Mr. Wolf we... is a genius, as you well know. Geniuses can be eccentric. When I put the other capsule in the safe, I made a discovery. There was a receipt for me to enter in the cash book, which read $200, advance on expenses, Saul Panzer. So he'd hired Saul. I didn't sleep much that night. Tossed and turned until I finally solved the case. I did it with cold logic. All I needed was enough evidence for a jury. In the morning, I couldn't wait for Wolf to come down from the plant room. Of course, nothing would interfere with his routine. We had a visitor. And she looked as if she hadn't slept all night either. Mr. Wolf will be engaged until 11 o'clock, Mrs. Poor. You'll be down in uh, 40 minutes. I know. I'll wait. Anything I can do? You're very kind, but I'll wait. I'll tell him you're here. Yes? Mrs. Poor's down here waiting to see you. Confound the woman. Send her away. But she... I know what she wants. Tell her to go home and read that receipt. Mr. Wolf says for you to go home and read the receipt. What? He thinks you came here to complain because he isn't earning the money your husband paid him. And the idea of having to earn money offends him. It always has. But that's ridiculous, isn't it? Yeah, it certainly is. But my advice to you is to humor him. Much as I enjoy having you here, if he came down and found you here, he'd turn around and walk out. Now, if you have anything special to say, you tell me and I'll tell him. He'll listen to me because he has to or fire me. And he can't fire me because then he'd never do any work at all. And eventually he'd starve to death. Well, I shouldn't think... <laughs> I, I shouldn't think huh? a cold-blooded murder is something to joke about. 
Oh, oh I'm, not, I'm not joking. Those are plain facts. What did you want to say to him? I, I just wanted to talk with him. He hasn't come to see me. Neither of you. Oh, well... You, you, you haven't even phoned me. I don't know what's happening. The police asked me about two of my hairs being in that box of cigars. They must oh, think that I... Mr. Wolf knows about that. In fact, I think he's proved to Inspector Kramer that those hairs are evidence that you did not kill your husband. Listen, uh, isn't the funeral this afternoon? Yes. Okay, that's enough for you for one day. Leave the rest for me. I mean, uh, if anything occurs that would help you to know about, well, I'll see that you know, right? Thank you, Mr. Goodwin. I'll drive you home. We didn't speak at all in the car. She was trying to control her tears, and I was trying to control my anger. When I got back to the office about 11.30, I couldn't blast right into him because the first thing that happened was the phone rang. The district attorney of Westchester County returning your call. Thank you, Archie. I've got it. You can hang up. Now, how do you do, Mr. Fraser? Thank you for being so prompt. Yes, it is urgent. I have something to give you. That body found in an orchard Wednesday evening with the head crushed. Has it been identified? Uh, no, then the newspaper report is accurate. I... Please, I'm giving you something. Put this down. Arthur Howell, 904 West 78th Street, New York. He worked for the Beck Products Corporation of Baston, New Jersey. His dentist was Louis Marley. 699 Park Avenue. That should help. Try that. And in return for this, I would appreciate it very much if you'll have me notified the moment the identification is made. Did you get it all down? No, sir. That's all you'll get from me until I get word of the identification. So that's what Saul has been doing. Uh-huh. Yes. Uh-huh. So it's in the bag. A complete stranger named Arthur Howell. After snitching the capsules from Beck Products and making cigars and getting them into Poor's home God knows how, he was overcome by remorse and went to an orchard and took his clothes off and lay down and ran a car over himself with a radio control oh, device. Oh, up, Archie. We're ready to act in any case, but it'll make things a little simpler if that corpse proves to be Mr. Howell, so it's worth waiting for a report on it. Ah, now, seven minutes to four, we might as well prepare it now. Archie, get that capsule you put in the safe and then attach it with tape to this photograph. This is Eugene Poor. I thought there were no four. Oh, no wonder you're looking so pleased, even if Saul did have to pay 200 bucks for it. Place the photo with the capsule attached in an envelope and replace it in the safe. Yeah, but why... You wait for my instructions. Call me the moment you hear from Mr. Fraser. body in the orchard is no longer mysterious. Arthur Howell? Right. Uh, Mr. Fraser was rather persistent. Indeed? He's on his way here right now with a couple of detectives. I think he wants to talk to you. Archie, you'll have to pay a call on Mrs. Poor. Now it's nearly ten o'clock. She's probably tired. The funeral's this afternoon. Can't be helped. Saul will go with you. 
Saul? Yeah, she's up in the guest room asleep. He didn't go to bed last night. You'll take her that photograph with its attachment. You should leave as soon as possible before that confounded Westchester lawyer gets you. I don't want to see him. Tell Fritz to bolt the door after you go. Get Saul to come down at once, then I'll give you instructions. I'm here under orders, near a wolf's orders. I just want to make that clear. What is it? Item number one is to hand you this envelope and invite you to look at the contents. Of course. <gasps> the decoration was near a wolf's idea. I am not authorized to discuss it or the picture from any angle, except to remark that it is a very good likeness of your husband. Where did you get it? Sorry, out of bounds. As I said, I'm under orders. Item number two... A man named Saul Panzer is out in the back hall on this floor, standing by the door of the service elevator. Number three, that naked body found in an orchard not more than ten minutes' drive from Blaney's country place has been identified as Arthur Howell, an employee of the Beck Productions Corporation. I don't know why you tell me about that. Arthur Howell? Did you say Arthur Howell? Yep, that's right. Howell, Arthur. Number four, it is now twenty past ten. At quarter to eleven, I'm supposed to either arrive back at the office or phone. If I do neither, Nero Wolf will phone Inspector Kramer. Let's see. Photo and capsule. Saul out in the back. Howl. Cops a quarter eleven. That's all. Without saying another word, and with a photo in her hand, she turned and walked out of the room. Since I had to think about fire escapes, I went along. That game of follow the leader was one of my experiences that can stay unique and suit me fine. She might have been a deaf and dumb renting agent showing me the apartment and me the deaf and dumb prospective tenant. First, we did the master bedroom, her in front and me right behind. She opened a closet door, looked in a minute, and shut it again. Then she crossed to another door that was standing open. I had never seen a fire escape with an entrance through a bathroom window, but I thought it wouldn't hurt to look, so I did. It was okay. So I backed out, and she shut the door, staying inside. I looked out of a window at the dark for maybe three minutes, and apparently I forgot to breathe. When the door opened and she came out, I pulled in enough oxygen to fill a barrel. She was no longer carrying the photograph. Her next destination was the back door, leading from the kitchen to the service hall. With me at her elbow, she pulled the door wide open, and we were both looking at Saul. Saul? Archie. Back to the living room and onto the front foyer. I slipped ahead of her and stood with my back against the entrance door. And she simply turned around and kept going until she was in the bedroom again. I was right there. Then she turned in the middle of the room near the foot of the double bed where she had presumably slept with her husband. Archie Goodwin, you think I'm terrible, don't you? You think I'm an awful woman, don't you? I'm not thinking, lady. I'm just an errand boy. You've had lots of experience. You know what women are like. I know you did when I first saw you. You know I'm a man's woman, but it has to be the right man. Just one man's forever. But I didn't find the man until it was too late. I didn't find him until this morning when you were so kind to me. 
have had me then. Forever yours. You could have me now if anything like that was possible. I mean, we could go away together. You wouldn't have to promise anything. Well, you could find out if you want me forever, too, the way I want you. Hold me, Archie. Listen, you... You are extremely good, there's no question about it. When you turn it on, it flows, but... As you say, it's too late. In seven minutes now, Nero Wolf will be phoning the police, so... You better fix your hair. You'll be having your picture taken. You... Oh, I hate men. God, how I hate men. She turned and walked into the bathroom. I sat down on the edge of the bed and did nothing but breathe. I suppose I did actually know what was going to happen. the hell do you think you are anyway? God, you have taken the law into your own hands. And arrest me, Mr. Kramer. Shut up, get a warrant, and arrest you me. You have deliberately withheld evidence. I have not withheld evidence or obstructed justice or shielded the guilty. I thought it possible that Mrs. Poor, confronted suddenly with that evidence, would collapse and confess. How could I know she would put that fuse in her mouth? How about confronting me with the evidence? Instead of evidence, what you confront me with is another corpse. Oh. And I know exactly why. The only evidence you had that was worth a damn was that photograph of Arthur Howell. If you had given it to me, Nonsense. I could have... you already had a photograph of Arthur Howell. Several of them. The Beck Products Corporation people gave them to you on Thursday. So they told Saul Panzer. And what good would one more do you? Okay, but I didn't know that Howell had come to see you on Tuesday with Mrs. Poor. Passing himself off as her husband, dressed in the same kind of suit and tie that Poor was wearing that day. Only you and Goodwin knew that. I knew it. Mr. Goodwin didn't. He thought it was a photograph of Mr. Poor. Protecting your health, eh? How did you know it wasn't Poor? And when? You told me that Mr. Poor smoked 10 to 15 cigars a day. Uh-huh. Mr. Kramer, you said the same thing. But the man that came here Tuesday calling himself Poor didn't even know how to hold a cigar, let alone smoke one. Oh, that's right, because when you left the room, he dropped his cigar again. It was a ludicrous performance, and he should never have tried it. When I learned that Mr. Poor was a veteran cigar smoker, the only question was who had impersonated him in this office. And the complicity of Mrs. Poor was obvious, especially with the added information, also furnished by you, Mr. Kramer, that no photograph of Mr. Poor was available. There are photographs of everybody nowadays. Mrs. Poor was an ass. She was supremely an ass when she selected me to bamboozle. She wanted to establish the assumption that Mr. Blaney was going to kill Mr. Poor. Well, that was intelligent. But it was idiotic and insulting to choose me as the victim. She hated men. She certainly had a low opinion of men. In order to get what she wanted, presumably something like half a million dollars, counting her husband's fortune, the insurance, and a half share in the business, once Mr. Blaney was executed for the murder of Mr. Poor, for this... She was willing to kill three men. Her husband and Howell by direct action, and Blaney indirectly. But, uh, except for the colossal blunder of picking on me, she was not a fool. The hell she wasn't. She was absolutely bad. No, sir, she was not. She was extremely clever at using what she had. The hostility between the partners 
and her acquaintance with a man named Arthur Howell who had access to a supply of explosive capsules capable of concealment in a cigar and who also resembled her husband sufficiently for her purpose. She didn't, of course, inform Mr. Howell that she hated men. Quite the contrary, she persuaded him to help her kill her husband, offering, I presume, a strong incentive. And she was good at offering incentives. She persuaded Mr. Howell to masquerade as poor for the meeting in my office. They left here a little before five o'clock. Mr. Howell then made his way separately to Grand Plains, while she met her husband and they drove to Westchester to see Mr. Blaney. She talked him out of that, left him at the tavern and drove somewhere to meet Arthur Howell, probably railroad station. Then they drove off to that orchard, an isolated spot, where she killed him, removed his clothing, and ran the car over him to obliterate his face. Then she proceeded, first to Blaney's place to make sure by looking through windows that he was alone there so she could safely say she'd gone to see him and couldn't find him. I really don't understand. She was providing for all contingencies. If Arthur Howell's body was, after all, identified, known as that of a man who was with the Beck Corporation and had access to those capsules... It would help to have it established that Mr. Blaney had not been at home during the time that Arthur Howell had been killed. And Mr. Blaney would be blamed for that, too. Jesus. Then she returned to the tavern, dined with her husband, drove back to their apartment, and got him a nice, fresh cigar from a new box. And she was your client? No, sir. You've got the $5,000. Oh, I have. But Poor didn't pay it to you. You never saw Poor, so you weren't hired by him. Mrs. Poor paid it. Do you take money for murderers? <laughs> Very feeble, Mr. Kramer. Whether Mr. Poor paid me or not, he got his money's worth. Franks as Archie Goodwin, and Cease Linder as Inspector Kramer. Lally Cadeau as Martha Poor, Sean Sullivan, Eugene Poor, Eric Peterson, Conroy Blaney, Martha Gibson, Alan Vardis, Dan Bukos, Joe Grove, Alfie Scott was Doyle, and James Morris was Stebbins. Music was composed and conducted by Don Gillis. Technical operations, John Jessup. Sound effects, Bill Robinson. Production assistant was Nancy McElveen. And casting consultant was Anne Weldon Tate. Instead of Evidence was written and produced in Toronto by Ron Hartman.
I, uh, I presume that she was alive when you left her to come up to me. Well, yes, sir, sitting in that chair. She was alone. No one came with her. The door was locked, as always. Fritz is out shopping. When I found her, she was on her side. I turned her over to test for breathing after I cut the necktie off. Uh, was... what necktie? The one you left on your desk. It was around her throat. Everybody's gone, Fritz. I've locked up. Thank you, Archie. Hey, three empty wine bottles. We didn't even eat dinner. I drank them, Archie. You're pie-eyed. No, Archie, I have tried, but no. Oh, boy. Go to bed. It's nearly midnight. No, he, he will be hungry. He may never be hungry again. Can you sleep? You probably always have. I can't even read. Archie, have you ever known me to show rancor? I have to look up in a dictionary. Vehement ill will. Intense malignity. No, I've never known you to show rancor. I have it now. And it's in the way. I can't think clearly. I have one thought. Go ahead. Will the police tackle Mrs. Sorrell? Oh. I doubt it. Not right away. She is young and comely. I've never seen her off stage. Well, you've seen pictures of her. Archie, you have a flair for dealing with personable young women. I thought that now you left your husband, I might be able to do something, render some little service that would earn me a smile. Mr. Goodwin, I hardly know how to take you. You overwhelm me, really, you do. Have you any particular service in mind? Well, I... Uh, I can't sew on buttons. So can I. Hmm... I could walk along behind you and carry an umbrella in case it rains. I don't walk much. Hmm. It might be better to carry a gun. Next week, Eeny, Meeny, Murder, Moe. With guest stars Charmian King, Bud Knapp, Aileen Seaton, Neil Monroe, and Dan McDonald. This is CBC Stereo.